Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. There is a move on the part of some liberal Christians to get rid of hymns that they find to be too militaristic. And Christians are against war, so let's get honored Christian soldiers out of the hymnal. Let's get fight the good fight out of the hymnal. In fact, you know the great hymn of the Lutheran Church, written by Martin Luther himself, is A mighty fortress is our God. About seven times in the Old Testament, it calls God our fortress. On the official website of the liberal ELCA Lutheran Church is an article by a woman who wants to get rid of God as our fortress, that's too militaristic, but she likes to refer to God as a patchwork quilt. <laughs> uh, listen, what we're going to talk about in this half hour is the Christian life is war. When we sing onward Christian soldiers, that has nothing to do with the war in the Middle East. It has everything to do that every Christian is fighting three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world refers to that mindset that is opposed to God. It's everywhere. The flesh is internally that evil human nature we all inherited from Adam and Eve. We all have to fight that inward self. And the third thing we fight, of course, is the devil. What I want to do is to see the great passage from the Apostle Paul on how to fight the world, your flesh, and the devil. Would you take out a Bible, turn in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 6, and let us learn how to fight the good fight and to be an onward Christian soldier. Let's pray first. Father, we do want to pray. Help each of us learn to battle the world, our flesh, and the devil. God, speak to us now and strengthen us through these verses. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Here's the first lesson on Christian warfare. We only win in God's power. If I try to fight the world and my flesh and the devil in my power, I lose. If I fight the world, the flesh, and the devil in God's power, I win. So, of course, the million-dollar question is, how do I do that? How do I fight these things in God's power so that I win? I'm glad you asked. That's the rest of the paragraph. Look at verse 11. Paul writes, Put on the whole armor of God. Here's the next lesson. The way you fight in God's power is by putting on the armor. I do this regularly. I've memorized part of Ephesians chapter 6. And, you know, the old hymn, put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. And so I pray on Ephesians chapter 6. It goes like this. God, I put on the belt of truth. And whatever truth from the Bible I need that day, I say it. 
I put on the belt of truth and I put on the breastplate of righteousness that I am righteous in Christ and I take up the shield of faith with which I can quench the flaming darts of the evil one and I take the helmet of salvation. I do believe I am saved and I take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. I shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Help me talk to somebody about you today and you visually pray on the armor in prayer in the morning. I do it all the time. <laughs> Verse 11, it says... Put on the whole armor of God. Here's the next lesson. Use all the armor. Don't put on part of the armor. It says use all the armor. Do you remember the story from Greek mythology of Achilles? That when he was a baby, his mother took him by the heel and dipped him in the river Styx. And it made Achilles invincible. Nobody could hurt him. But when Paris heard that his heel was weak because he wasn't dipped with his heel. He aimed his arrow at Achilles' heel and Paris killed Achilles. My question for you is, do you know what your Achilles' heel is? Do you know what your weak spot is? That's where the devil aims his, ar his arches. And so you need to protect that heel. It says this in Hebrews 12, make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint but rather healed. So You've got to put on the whole armor of God, especially around that area where you're weak. Let me give you an example. Maybe your Achilles heel is gossip. You love to talk about people. So how do you protect that? Well, you don't read National Enquirer. You don't watch TV shows about Hollywood and who's divorcing who and all the gossip, gossip, gossip. And you stay away from people that cause you to gossip. Or maybe your Achilles heel is materialism. So what do you do to protect that? Well, you don't spend two days a week at the mall, and you tithe every week. You give 10% of your money to the Lord to put a dent into your materialism. Maybe your Achilles heel is alcohol. You, you, you drink too much. So what do you do? You get all the alcohol out of the house. You stop going to the bar. You stay away from people that cause you to sin, and you go to AA meeting every week. You know, whatever your weak spot is, protect it. We've all got them. Look at verse 11, Ephesians 6:11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Here's the next lesson. The devil is sneaky. Well, I mean, when you see Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses going door to door carrying the Bible, and then they sneak in their evil doctrine. Do you know that Mormons believe in thousands of gods? and you can become a god someday, and the god we worshipped used to be a Mormon man on another planet, they don't believe God is eternal. and It's a weird religion. So the devil's sneaky. He's especially sneaky. The worst cult of all is the cult which has developed within the Christian churches, the cult of liberalism. This grieves me. Listen to what happened. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America is the liberal branch of the Lutheran Church that I and the congregation I served left years ago. We left over things like this. I'm not making this up. Thousands of teenagers from the ELCA Lutheran Church gathered in Detroit this summer for the teen convention. What happened? The bishop from Texas and Louisiana got up with his collar on and came out to the teens. He announced his homosexuality. He encouraged the teenagers to embrace homosexuality. And then he said, when I was young, struggling with the call of God on, God on my life, I heard God say to me, you blank hole, why don't you listen to me? 
This bishop is telling the teenagers, and he uses the word, that God called them that in prayer. Give me a break. And the, the point is, isn't the devil sneaky that people can put collars on and speak for the devil? Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That means we're not just battling humans, but we are wrestling against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. That's a reference to the next lesson. Here's the next lesson. Demons are real. We're not just battling liberal bishops and humans. We're battling demons that are behind all of that. I want to share some, something kind of personal now, and I hope you don't think I'm crazy, but it's the story of what happened to me. When I was 13, sitting in confirmation class, our Lutheran pastor taught us that demons are not real. In the first century, they didn't know what epilepsy was, so they called it demon possession because they didn't know about epilepsy. Well, so I believed that he was the pastor, but you know, that interpretation doesn't work. How come the epileptics know who Jesus is when nobody else does? The demoniacs had supernatural knowledge. Well, epilepsy doesn't give you supernatural knowledge. So anyways, but I believed him, he's the pastor. Then I won't go into much detail. I'm 18 years old out in the cabin in the woods and in the middle of the night, this thing jumps on me. It was weird, it was inhuman and I'm after the whole horrible event I thought, what on earth was that? And I reread the Bible and I saw that demons are real. They're everywhere in the New Testament and they're not epilepsy, they're demons. And then in seminary, you know when you're in bed and you know you're not asleep, but you're not awake either, it's kind of that twilight zone, this thing would jump on me. And this was happening with such frequency. I went to this pastor and he prayed over me and he cast things away from me in Jesus' name. And then he said, Tom, before you go to bed each night, pray that God will send his angels to protect you. That was a gazillion years ago. I'm still praying that every night before I go to bed. And you know what? It almost never happens anymore. And it used to happen a lot. My point is, demons are real. We don't battle just humans, flesh and blood. We battle demons. Now, and there, there are two extremes, though, to avoid. Some Christians see demons behind every bush. And you know, if you let me cast that demon, out of, demon of nicotine out of you, you won't smoke anymore. Well, it's not that simple. On the other hand, some Christians underdo it. They don't see demons anywhere. So uh, don't overdo it, but don't underdo it either. Verse 12. We battle against the spiritual forces of evil. Notice what it says. In the heavenly places. Here's the next lesson. Demons are in the air. Um, uh, the, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. In fact, if you remember the book of Job, Satan walks into God's throne room in heaven. Satan does. So, you know, there are demonic realms in the heavenlies. Now, probably the, the demons in the air are not in the heaven of heaven where God dwells, but just in the earth's atmosphere. I mean, normally when I preach, I don't feel a thing. But now and then, especially at a funeral, this can happen. You can just feel the rejection going on in the air. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Here's the next lesson. You are responsible 
to take the armor. That the word take up in verse 13 is in the imperative form. It's a command. You put on the armor. In other words, Christians, we're not supposed to just lay back and wait for God to put the armor on. You are commanded. You take the armor and you put it on yourself. So, for the rest of the sermon, I, I want to ask the question, how do we do that? How do we put on the armor of God so I don't fall? And I'm just going to share quickly with you eight pieces of armor. Put each piece on. Piece of armor number one, prayer. You've probably seen the bumper sticker. Seven days without prayer makes one week, W-E-A-K. You need to pray every day. That's a huge part of your armor. Sir Isaac Newton, who discovered gravity, wrote these words years ago. I can take my telescope and look millions and millions of miles into space, but I can lay my telescope aside, go into my room and shut the door, get down on my knees in earnest prayer, and I see more of heaven and get closer to God than I can when assisted by all the telescopes on earth. So Christian, you need to pray every day to put on your armor. Second piece of armor, Bible reading. Read your Bible every day. Our age is so duped. If you watch TV, it's one lie after another. Even in the church, some churches are so duped. You need to read the Bible for yourself every day. I'll share I've shared this story before, but it occurs to me. Uh, a lady in my church said to me uh, some years ago, did I ever tell you why we started coming to this church? She said, my Lutheran pastor at the other church got up at the pulpit one day and read John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God the Father but by me. And the pastor said in his sermon, I don't know why Jesus said that. We know our God is bigger than that. And she needled her husband and said, let's get out of here. He's correcting Jesus from the pulpit. And she said, that's what brought us to this church. Now, you know why she knew to leave that church? She knew the Bible. You've got to read your Bible regularly or you'll be duped. I got this letter some time ago. Dear Pastor Tom, my name is Reverend Laura, and she gives her name. I have seen your shows and uh, your sermons are encouraging. I recently felt the Lord prompt me to contact you in hope that you would invite me to preach at your church. Excuse me. And I read that and I thought, she doesn't know me. Because 1 Timothy 2 says women shouldn't preach over men. Women can do all kinds of things in the church. In fact, just about everything. But the one thing a woman shouldn't do is preach over the adult men in the church. So I wasn't duped. I didn't call Pastor Laura. So, so my point is, read your Bible, know your Bible, or you're going to get confused by this world. Third piece of armor. Prayer, Bible reading, third piece of armor is Christian fellowship. When you get around other Christians, that protects you from the devil. I said in a prior show that I get emails from people now and then because they are so pure and they understand the Bible so properly and the churches are in darkness. I don't go to church anymore. I just read the Bible because I understand the Bible and the churches are, are in darkness. And I write those people back and said, isn't that arrogant that only you understand the Bible properly? And if you believe in just the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10 tells you, go to church. The Bible tells you to go to church. So make sure you're part of Christian fellowship or you get confused and you get into weird theology. Next piece of armor and why we go to church, the next piece of armor is worship. When you're praising God and worshiping, 
That just protects you from the devil. Let me share one more personal story here. Back in my seminary days, I was being very tempted and bothered about a certain thing. And I had a dream. And in the dream, I was being chased by this little ugly animal. It was a little animal, but it barked real loud. And I am so scared running from this thing, I run up in a tree, and the thing is at the bottom of the tree going, rawr, 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 just barking. And in the tree, I'm shaking because I'm thinking, that thing's never going to leave. And while I'm thinking that, a Christian comes along, points his finger at the animal and says, in the name of Jesus, go. And it went, arr, 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 took off. I came down from the tree, and I said to the Christian, but what if it comes back? And he said, just start praising the Lord. It can't stand that. And I woke up. And that dream taught me two things. Number one, I need Christian fellowship. I can go up so much in my neurotic tree. I need another Christian to get me down. But the second thing I learned, the power of worship. When you're tempted, it's a powerful thing just to start singing a hymn. You know, they say Martin Luther, when he was tempted by the devil, he would sing a hymn at the devil. So when you're tempted, just sing a Christian song, turn on Christian music. Just uh, worship is a great piece of armor. Fifth piece of armor, prayer, Bible reading, Christian fellowship, worship. Number five is holy communion. Do you take communion a lot? Many years ago, I was the vicar at Valparaiso University, and in my job, we had worship services twice a week, and we took communion twice a week. Every week, I got communion twice. That was about the purest year of my life. Make sure you're taking communion. That's a big piece of armor. Sixth piece of armor is accountability. Do you have somebody in your life that knows about your sins who holds you accountable? Men, we live in a porn-drenched era. You can't turn on the TV, you can't turn on your computer without the possibility of porn in your face. I mean, porn is everywhere. And so do you have accountability? You know what? I have an older Christian man that I call on the phone regularly. And, and he asked me, how you doing, Tom? Have you seen anything you shouldn't have looked at this week? And, and this older Christian man, he's kind of my, he's not a priest, but he's my priest. You know, he's, a, uh, he's an evangelical type. But, but do you have anybody in your life like that that holds you accountable? If you've got a problem with drugs or drinking, that kind of thing, do you go to a support group that will keep you on the straight and narrow? Christian, one big accountability, one big piece of armor is accountability. Next, next uh, verse is verse six, 13. Do this that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That means when things get rough, you don't have to fall. Standing in the evil day and stand firm. So I'm going to go all the way to the last lesson. Here's the last lesson for today. That verse, Ephesians 6.13 says, put on the armor and you will stand. You don't have to fall. And if you go to the museums in Europe, often they'll have a whole room filled with medieval armor. And they put armor on the horses and every part of your body. So here's these big, or some, some of them are short because they were shorter back then, but every part of their body is covered. And that armor was heavy, but... They put it on, even though it was work to put it on, 
because it saved their life. And that's, that's my last point to you. Yeah, it, it is work to pray every day, read your Bible every day, go to church every week, get an accountability partner. It is work to put on the armor, but it'll keep you from falling. So may you and I do that. Read Ephesians chapter 6, pray the armor on every morning, get an accountability partner, get fellowship, pray, read your Bible, and Paul says, then you won't fall. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us not only his knowledge of scripture, but his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. We invite you to send any questions you have for Pastor Brock to our show. At the end, you'll see our website. You can send them there and we'll answer your question on another show. Pastor Brock, can you explain exactly what is the flesh? We battle the world. That's the, that's the evil human worldview that counters God. We battle the flesh. That's our evil human nature. And we battle the devil. Christians believe in what's called original sin, that when you're born, you're born contaminated because we inherited Adam and Eve's rebellion. So the little babies, even though they're cute, they're not perfect. They're sinners. I mean, Jackie... Early in life, you learn how sinful children are, the way they stick each other in the eye and cry if they don't get their way and everything else. So we're born sinful. That's what the flesh is. So you believe people are born sinful? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. David says in the book of Psalms, in sin did my mother conceive me. So even David writing 1000 BC saw that. So where exactly did the devil come from? Well, we know that only God is eternal and not the devil. And there are religions, like non-Christian religions, that teach eternal dualism, that the devil and God are equally eternal. No, no, no. Christians are eternal monists, one, mon. Only God is eternal. So where'd the devil come from? Well, God created everything. In one sense, God created the devil. Now, there's a theory, and I think it's a good theory, that God created the devil as an angel, and then Satan rebelled and fell, and other angels fell with him, and they became the demons, but he became the devil. And I think that the Bible does talk about fallen angels, so I think it's a good theory. However, to be honest, the Bible never clearly explains how the devil became the devil. He just shows up in the garden uh, in, in, in Genesis 3. Okay, Pastor Tom, in your sermon you talked about Satan going to heaven. Mm -hmm. Can you clarify that it's one? It's very strange, but it, it talks in, in Ephesians 6 about the demonic powers are in the air. And if you read the book of Job, God is in his throne room with the angels, and Satan comes into God's throne room in heaven. How would God allow that? Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was in order to show the universe that God had his man Job, and even the devil wasn't going to be able to get him to curse God. That's what was going on. So is the devil eternally in heaven? I don't think so. But in that moment, God allowed Satan into the throne room. So I, I think, you know, when it talks about he's the prince of the power of the air, I think that's talking about the earth's atmosphere, that there, there's things in the air. But the heaven of heavens is normally reserved for God alone. Yeah. Do you think God allowed him to have a glimpse of heaven so he would see what he wasn't going to get? Ah, could be. doesn't say that, but who knows? <laughs> okay, well, I just wondered. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've never heard that verse and that it kind of impacted me yeah. to think, why would God have allowed him yeah. even into heaven? Yeah. Um, you said the world is our enemy, but aren't we supposed to love the world? Yes and no. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. So we're supposed to love everybody, pray for everybody's salvation. But the saint, John also wrote the verse in, let me see if I can find it. Um, John also said, 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it, the, we are to love the world in the sense of all the people, but in, we are to hate the world in the sense of that evil mindset that is opposed to God. That's, the, that's what we are to hate. So, in other words, do you still pray for those people that are sure. of that mindset? Sure we do. You bet we do. Paul was of that mindset before he got converted. Yeah. Okay, so that was kind of leads to what my next question for you is. How can a person be set free of a demon? Yeah. Jackie, in the New Testament, they had exorcisms. People had demons cast out of them. And uh, you got to, aren't, they aren't prevalent. I, you know, we live in the Twin Cities here. I know of two deliverance ministries in the Twin Cities. So they're not everywhere. But if somebody th thinks they have a demonic problem, call around to some churches and ask, is there anybody you know of that has a deliverance ministry where they pray over people and cast things away from them? So is that a gift of the Spirit then? Um, there's a gift of the Spirit, you know, there's 19 gifts of the Holy Spirit. One is called the discernment of spirits, where you're able to tell what's what. Okay, so it is a gift, spiritual mm -hmm. gift. How should a Christian fast? Mm -hmm. You know, Jackie, I, I, left, I left off part of my sermon. Um, one, one more piece of armor is fasting. You know, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Anna fasted. The ancient church fasted. And, and Jackie... When you're under it and you really need something from the Lord, sometimes what I'll do is say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to eat for 24 hours. I'm going to drink water, but for 24 hours, I'm not going to eat. And just, you, that's a way of seeking the Lord and showing your earnestness. And uh, Jackie, uh, a lady of our church many years ago, um, I, had, I was fasting for 48 hours once, and I had a question for God. And I'm talking to this lady from our church right at the end of the 48 hours. She gave me the answer to my question, and she didn't even know what she was saying. It was the Lord talking through her to me. And so sometimes another important piece of the armor is fasting. Is it healthy for Christians to fast? You know, normally it is. You can talk to your doctor, but normally almost anybody can go for 24 hours without food. Now you drink water. But if it's an issue, you maybe talk to your doctor first. Okay, you talked about the importance of fellowship and that. I guess we've had this question before, mm -hmm. but how do you find a good church? Yep. What are yep. the steps to getting right. to Right, you know, that? we've talked about this so many times, but let's do it one more time. Okay. You're looking for a new church. You ask the pastor, can I talk to you for just a few minutes after shaking hands? And he normally will say, say yes. Pastor, do you believe there's a heaven and a hell? You'd be surprised how many pastors don't believe in hell anymore. Pastor, do you believe Jesus is the only way of salvation, like Jesus himself said in John 14, 6? You'll be surprised how many pastors think all roads lead to God. Pastor, uh, do you believe in the miracles of the Bible? Jesus was born of a virgin, etc. Pastor, tell me your views on homosexuality, abortion, premarital sex. And you will, if you get good, clear, of course, uh, uh, homosexuality and abortion and premarital sex are wrong. Of course, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Of course, there's a heaven and hell. That's a good church. If you get, well, that's a complex issue, then you want to go to another church. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. 
You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.